Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, since 1996, online at the This Pulp Event Podcast features a tribute to the late author and pulp collector Frank M. Robinson. Participating are Ed Hulls, editor of Blood and Thunder magazine, pulp collector and dealer Doug Ellis, and John Gunnison of Adventure House. The talk was recorded on August 7, 2014, at Pulp Fest 2014 in Columbus, Ohio. Mike Chom co-introduces the panel. Welcome everyone to uh, Pulp Fest uh, evening programming for our first night here. We're going to start off with a tribute to that the gentleman there, Frank M. Robinson, who passed away uh, in early June. He was uh, a very talented writer and he was a devoted pulp fan who a lot of us knew him uh, uh, through PulpCon and later Windy City. He had one of the finest pulp collections in, in the world. And I'm going to turn it over to Ed and Doug and John Gunnison will be down here shortly. Thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, coming and for your support. Thank you. Uh, we're not going to make a big deal of this. It's, it's going to be an informal tribute, but we, do, we did want to acknowledge Frank's passing because he was such a major force in this hobby, and incidentally a major force as a writer in uh, some of the genres we love, such as especially science fiction. Of course, many of you may know that Frank, with uh, his partner, writing partner Tom Scorcia, wrote uh, The Glass Inferno, which was one of two novels that was adapted to the movie The Towering Inferno. And Frank was fond of telling visitors to his lovely San Francisco home that he bought that house, on top of a hill, by the way, with the money that he got from Hollywood for the screen rights to, to that book. So he was very proud of that. Uh, Doug and John and some of the other guys who've been going to Polcons before, I have uh, knew Frank better than I did. But I just wanted to say he was an inspiration to me uh, as someone who writes for a living myself. Uh, I was always fascinated by him and his work long before I knew him. Uh, I first encountered him when I read uh, one of his earlier stories, The Power, which by the way was also made into a movie with George Hamilton. Uh, I read that story and that story fascinated me as a kid and um, I, I kept an eye out for Frank's name and it never occurred to me, I never dreamed that, that I would not only get a chance to meet him but to become friendly with him and I certainly wasn't as close to him as Doug and John but I was a guest in his house several times and I was the beneficiary of his great stories. He had, of course, a wonderful pulp collection. Frank specialized in collecting some of the finest conditioned pulps that, that we've ever seen. And there was a story for every pulp. So if I was pulling down, say, a Weird Tales from 1936, he would say, now I was at a flea market at Reseda and this kid came up to me, and this, is, this would go on with every pulp. I mean, I once looked at his collection of Hugo Gernsback Amazing Stories, and it took us an hour and a half to get from 1926 to 1929. So that's the kind of guy he was. He was a great raconteur. Uh, I, I enjoy collecting high-grade pulps myself, and he was one of my inspirations. Shortly after I met him for the first time, which was sometime in the late 1990s, we shared a, a ride back to the hotel after PulpCon that year. 
And we were talking about this and that, and, and he mentioned something that he picked up, and I mentioned something that I had picked up. And then there was a third person who I, I don't recognize now who brought something out of his briefcase to show Frank. And it, I forget what the, what the pulp was, but it was in pretty rough shape. And Frank looked at it and said, oh, that's very nice. And then he handed it back to the guy and said very imperiously, but I don't collect waste paper. So that was, that was the kind of thing that he could say, and he could say it with a laugh. I don't know if the guy took offense or not, but I kind of chuckled. So Doug, what do, you, what do you remember? You knew Frank longer than I did. What's his, you know, your, your memories of uh, first meeting him very quickly, the kind of guy he was and what he meant to you? I actually don't remember the first time. Is this working right? Maybe not. There you go. Ah. I actually don't remember the first time that I met Frank, um, but uh, it would have obviously been at uh, PulpCon. And um, like Ed, I visited him at his house um, uh, several times. Um, Ed, I don't think you were one of the collectors. There, there was one collector who visited at a house. Frank told me uh, after the fact that uh, uh, when this collector, who will remain nameless, visited him, he went through all the Frank's pulps, wall of pulps. John knows who I'm talking about. Uh, when uh, this collector left, Frank found in the back of Post-its. Uh, <laughs> this guy's business card, he had slipped into all the different uh, issues of things that he wanted to buy from Frank. Um, but, um, uh, and, and Frank was our guest uh, um, at Windy City many years. He would come up early and um, uh, stay with us. And uh, he um, always insisted that my wife buy poppycock uh, as a snack. Uh, in preparation for his uh, arrival. And uh, we always had to go to this Chinese place down the street, which was uh, his favorite restaurant in the area. But um, it was- uh, That and barbecue. That and barbecue, yeah. But the barbecue was messier. Yeah, well. <clears throat> and John, of course, John Gunnison managed the sale of Frank's collection when he finally decided to let it go. And that, of course, was a mammoth undertaking, which you may or may not want to <laughs> share a few memories of. But, um, no, and you actually, knew him a lot longer. How did, when did you first meet Frank? Um, as I wrote in the Pulpster, oh God, so it was, it was at least 30 years ago, thereabouts, uh, when he called me up. Um, I had a uh, combination video store and, and bookstore, and uh, he announced himself, hi, I'm Frank Robinson. No, I'm not the baseball player. I could tell that right away only because I'd met Frank Robinson, the baseball player, and Frank uh, Robinson, obviously, uh, who we all know, um, didn't sound anything like Frank Robinson, the uh, African-American baseball player. But uh, no, the, the anecdote that I can, uh, besides the, the collection, um, was when he was trying to get this book, Pulp Culture, published. And his idea was, was that Back then, the ideal way of producing a book would be to do what they call drum scans, which would meant him taking the cover off of these magazines to attach it to a drum scanner to get a high-res scan. And I said, well, obviously that won't work, Frank. And he says, well, then I'm thinking of doing color Xeroxes. And I said, yeah, a drum scan of a lousy color Xerox is still a lousy color Xerox. <laughs> Uh, so that won't work either. And so he said, well, what do you, ex you know, what do you suggest, Gunnison? So I said, well, we can either photograph them or I can scan them. And I went out and bought a $1,500 HP scanner to do the job. And so he kept on sending me boxes of, of pulps to scan. And one time, uh, he'd always send them 
next day, FedEx next day, because he didn't want them sitting in, uh, in some warehouse somewhere. Um, a box didn't arrive. And I always called him as soon as the FedEx arrived. And he, he to say that he was crestfallen, thinking that this entire box of pulp magazines had disappeared. I said, Frank, I'm sure it's something a lot less sinister. I'm sure it was just a circumstance in which you shipped it as next day, but they sent it as regular ground. And sure enough, seven days later, it shows up. And I think Frank um, didn't breathe between the, the day that I said, no, it didn't show up until finally I told him, called him and said that they did. Because he had actually borrowed in this box a number of magazines, uh, including a new story with the return of Tarzan from Daryl uh, Richardson. And um, it was the only copy I had, I had ever seen. Um, anyway, now that's Frank was um, was a good friend to all of us. Uh, really appreciate uh, <clears throat> what he did for everybody. It was amazing, though. He was very compartmentalized in his life. Um, it took him a long time to finally come around to say that you know he was gay and. Um, and it was finally towards the end when he was uh, cast as himself to be in the movie Milk. Uh, and he was calling me practically every day as he got off the set, uh, talking about how much fun it really was. But it came down to the, the one thing that he, he said he hated about the whole affair was that uh, he was having fun at the uh, expense of Harvey Milk. Uh yeah, I mean, Frank, Fr Frank had an incredible career. I mean, and it, it, it's odd that for, um, at least some people think it's odd. I don't think it's odd because a good writer can write anything. But let's say there's a certain irony in the fact that as a gay man, Frank uh, wrote for many years for girly magazines. And for many, many years, he w wrote the Playboy Advisor, which, among other things, dispensed sex tips for heterosexual couples. Uh, but he also worked for Dude or um, Rogue. Rogue, and um, like I say, any good professional writer, and, and this goes right back to the pulps that we all love to collect, guys who write for a living learn how to write whatever is required, and Frank was one of those guys who could do it all. I mean, we remember him primarily for his fiction, but he did a lot of nonfiction work, both as a writer as an editor. Um, uh, we'll each share one last memory. Mine is that um, what always impressed me about Frank is that as a collector for all the years that he had in the hobby, and he was seriously collecting back in the 40s, you know, when a lot of these things were being sold two for a nickel and used bookshops and whatnot, he was seriously collecting. I, I think he had already compiled a complete set of Weird Tales in, in the early 50s, if I'm not mistaken. He but, was close. Yeah. But I used to, I, I always kind of admired the sheer joy that he got out of our hobby and that at a pulp con where there would be a couple hundred people in the room milling around, you could find Frank sitting on the floor, cross-legged, half under a table, plowing through boxes for that elusive upgrade for the one, uh, you know, startling stories that he needed to, to finish his set. And, and I always admired that about him, that even as he got older, he always retained a kind of youth, well, what we like to call sense of wonder, I think it's fair to say. And as, as uh, I admired him both as a, a writer, as a human being, and as a collector. 
Yeah, I would um, second what Ed said on all of that. Of course, you know, with Frank's passing, he really was one of the last uh, remaining pulp authors that we still have with us. I, I really am hard pressed to name uh, really anybody else who is still alive who actually did write for the pulps. And, and Frank's career in the pulps, though, began earlier than that. Bob Madel. That's true, Bob Madel. Um, but um, uh, before he became a writer, Frank was an office boy for Ziff Davis. And um, I, I always remember the one story, he, he told it numerous times, but I found it amusing. Uh, when he was an office boy for Ziff Davis, he had access to the bound issues of uh, uh, Amazing, going way back to the Gernsback days. And he slowly, one at a time, uh, smuggled them out of the uh, Ziff Davis building um, under his coat. And uh, w one day he happened to have one of these under his coat, and it's a little bulky, and Frank was not a you know, heavy guy. And uh, he gets on the elevator, and it was uh, Mr. Ziff, right? Or it was Mr. Davis? I can't remember which one. One of the two, Mr. Ziff or Mr. Davis, got in the elevator with him. And uh, Frank was convinced that his cover was blown. And uh, this guy was giving him the fisheye the whole ride down the elevator. But uh, Frank managed to escape with the volume. Um, I'm not sure if that put an end to uh, his liberating those volumes or not. But uh, I suspect he was a little more cautious uh, at, at the end. Um, one thing I do want to mention is that um, uh, Frank was our guest of honor at Winnie City in 2003, and uh, at that convention he was interviewed by John Locke uh, and went through his entire career. We found the tape of that, um, and I'm having it converted to uh, digital mm -hmm. format, so sometime in probably the next two or three weeks uh, we'll have a link available somewhere. It'll be available online and people can see. It's about an hour long. and. Uh, hear Frank in his own words talking about his pulp career and uh, what led up to his collecting career. Frank really wanted to be, and when he finally decided that he wanted to sell the magazines, um, it was the, uh, the earthquake, boy, I don't remember which one it was uh, precisely. I don't think it was the one uh, during the World Series, but whenever it was, um, magazines were shaken off his bookshelf. And he said six months later, he walked by and he realized he hadn't bothered picking any of them up. So he realized that, you know, maybe it's time to go right ahead and sell them at this point. Um, but even though he, he sold them, uh, I must admit, um, I got probably uh, every six months a phone call saying, did you really have to sell them? <laughs> and... Um, if he wasn't coming to Windy City, he'd uh, always send me a list of things that I had to look out for. I said, Frank, you know I can barely get out uh, to do shopping for myself. I will look for you, but quite honestly, I don't know if I'll ever find stuff that you really, really want. Mostly, I just didn't want to spend his money for him, uh, considering that, uh, you know, done that. And uh, he really wanted to be known as, a, as an author more than a magazine collector. So please get a chance, if you get a chance, do read his stuff because it was very good. Dark Beyond the Stars is probably one of my favorite science mm. fiction. That's a great book. Um, and I'm really sad that, um, that it didn't get, was not able to be made into a movie. The screenplay is very, very good. Hmm. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Doug and John who we pressed into service at the last minute. And we're gonna let them go back up and continue their dealer setup. And in the meantime, as you're walking around this week, as you're having fun, as you're listening to us talk about the golden age of science fiction, let's remember that one of our own was part of the tail end of that particular phenomenon. And uh, I'm sure we'll all miss him. I'll certainly miss seeing him rummaging around the dealer's room. 
So uh, let's thank a Frank Robinson while we're here. He always had fun at events like this. And uh, us having fun will, I think, is as good a tribute to his spirit as, as anything else. So again, thanks everybody for coming. And let's thank thanks. Doug Ellis and John Gunnison for participating. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, when your next adventure was just a dime away. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps.